sure it gets to the right place. Okay? All right. Rhonda. Okay. I don't like to be too loud because I don't like the feedback in my ear. Okay. Everyone stand up. <laughs> Cece, come here. I'm not going to do anything. <laughs> Grab the lady next to you. Grab her hand. There's in the... Who, can you grab Yvonne's hand? Okay. Everyone's in? Does, is Leanne here? Does she have a hand? Okay. Okay. That's okay. Hey, we love babies. Keep them in here. Okay. Let's pray. Father God, we are here this morning and just in awe of who you are. And as women, we just want to lift up the person we're holding hands with. And whether she's our close friend, or whether she's a new friend, or someone that we don't know yet, bless her today, meet her needs, guide her footsteps to get closer to you. And I ask that you meet us here as we read your word and have it penetrate deep down inside of us. And I ask, Father, you empty me of anything that is unworthy to tell your story. And bless this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Okay. I'm a crier, so. <laughs> so, um, I know that Belinda's not here, but Valor, I don't know if Valerie's still in here. They all left. Oh, yeah. Um, Belinda's sick, and Lisa has to go to um, work. Um, but I don't know if you noticed, but when they were singing the song, I'm Set Free, did you notice the two different, like, Valerie would sing one part, mm-hmm. and then Belinda would sing, and this, did you guys recognize the age in the in the tone like 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 Valerie would be singing like Valerie would be singing Naomi and then Belinda being young sang Ruth I'm like did you catch that I don't I mean sometimes I'm just like God's just like oh did you see that did you see that oh yeah and this and this and this and this just like wow can just to be so in tuned on everything God is doing around us and just to pick it up and pick it up and oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. Um, and I do, I, I am one of probably the worst person for Belinda because when I do my study like four weeks out because I just have to like, you know, I have to be just engulfed in it and I'll start singing what song God's telling me to sing and then I'll text her, hey, do you know this song? Hey, can you sing this song? Hey, can you sing this song? So every year she's probably, oh, she's looking, oh, Rhonda's going to be speaking in three weeks. Oh, my gosh, she's going to have a list of songs for me to sing. But, Belinda, I love you, and you pull it off so beautiful, so beautiful. Um, and I had her at the last minute uh, practice Oh Little Town of Bethlehem because that's our story. Our story this morning, it starts in Bethlehem because Mary and Joseph met and that's where Jesus was born. And then follow it back, Boaz and Ruth. And Ruth 
goes back to Bethlehem. I mean, if you could just see the connection just going in and out of Scripture. It's just unbelievable. And, and you have to see Jesus in the Scripture. I mean, he's just like looking at you right there. Um, but our story this week tells, and I have a lot of notes, so I'm sorry if I'm looking down, and they're all scribbled because I was just changing, changing. And our story this week tells us of a young foreign girl who came out of paganism and idolatry and into the knowledge of the Lord God of Israel. Now, we talked about this before. Paganism and idolatry is what? It's anything that's not have you focused on Jesus or God. It can be it can be your clothes, it can be money, it could be, you know, anything that has you, here's the word, but your focus is over here. It could be a hairspray, it could be big hair. You know, in Jesus' name, everyone have big hair. <laughs> no. Um, so that sounds like my story, right? Coming out of idolatry and paganism, it sounds like your story and 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 who saw in the story as you read Ruth? Who saw who saw the love story? Who saw girl gets guy? Yeah. Who saw a friendship between two friends? What about loyalty? Who saw um, Naomi's loyalty? She didn't give up. She complained. Okay, yeah, she's one of us. But she didn't give up. She stayed consistent. What about Ruth? The loyalty to stay with her mother-in-law. You know, back then the culture, you know, you, once you got married, you had to stay with that family unless you were blessed to go back home. Um, what about uh, Boaz? You know, he stayed with God's law, the, the kingsman redeemer, the Goel, okay? And the laws concerning the poor and the widow, he stayed to, to God's ways. Who saw redemption? In through the whole story. That was just clearly. Okay, now we're going to step on some toes real quick. Who saw bitterness? Who saw pain? Who saw suffering? Abandonment? Hopeless? Helpless? Loneliness? Okay, let's go deeper, ladies. Who saw gossip? Maybe at the water well? Who saw hatred? Who saw mistreatment? Who saw categorized? Yeah, you're not, you're not a Jew, so you don't get to come and worship with my God, so you get to stay over there. Who saw that? You could see it because when Naomi is telling Ruth, no, stay back, stay back, because you know, really? We're going over here and God's people, God's people, they're not going to accept you. Really? Is that who we've become? You know, look at the culture in that day and time. It's just like, you know, can we relate to that story sometimes? Maybe just a little bit? And even though the story took place around 1375 B.C., nothing has changed but the date of our history, today's date. With everything that the list of stuff that I've mentioned, all the feelings, nothing's changed. When you think about the fear and the anxiety that we go through today, it was the same thing back then. People back then were lost. They needed a redeemer. Just like us today, we're lost. We need a redeemer. 
we might have that big cloud of darkness hanging over our heads. But it's going to break and pour. It's going to rain down from heaven his blessings and mercy with grace and forgiveness and redemption. And it will. It will happen. Remember back then they only had the law. And the law said that if you were not a part of the Israelites, you could not be associated with us. They made it very hard for a foreigner to accept their God. Naomi knows that back in Bethlehem, those people will not accept her two daughter-in-laws. Like I said, she's tried two times to tell them to go back. Now, my youngest uh, in my family is studying uh, World War II and history on Hitler. And uh, anyone here been to the uh, Museum of Tolerance? Okay, kind of grimsome, huh? You... Um, so we're back at that again. We did that four years ago and three years ago. Now we're hitting that again. And who here has seen The Boy with the Striped Pajamas? If you have not seen that movie, go and rent it. Go on Netflix. You, are, you know, you're just going to get up and you're just going to want to hit someone. Lots of tissue. Lots of tissue. Um, this, this will take you back to um, uh, when the Hitler was in its prime and the Jews and and Christians were treating the Jews just as probably as they were back in this time that we're going to read here. It's horrible. It's the boy in the striped pajamas. Um, so I cringe when I rewatch these things or reread these things. And um, the segregation we had and still have today towards the people of Israel, especially the Jews, even today, um, I don't like it particularly. And this is just my opinion. I don't like it when people say, yeah, I'm a member of this church. Yeah, I go over to that church. My parents do that. My parents won't step foot in this church when they come and visit me, whenever that is. You know, they that's their church and that's their God. And it's just like, how can we become like that? God is our God. At the end of the day, we belong to his church. Yeah, you know, we're supposed to be led to, the, to a church that draws us in to support, to attend, and to grow and be fed. But at the end of the day, we all go to his church. Ruth is placed in the genealogy that leads to our Redeemer, Jesus Christ. Our short story this morning of Ruth tells us of Jesus' ancestral tree coming from the line of David. It is an important link in the chain of scripture that begins in Genesis and goes right down to the stable in Bethlehem, to the cross, to the crown, and to the throne of David that one day, our Lord will be seated on. Now here's a question for you. What is the meaning of Christian redemption? What does that mean and why am I using the word Christian redemption? How come I just don't say redemption? Here's my coupons. Once, uh, to you, if I give you some coupons, you're going to be like, oh, I can go redeem these. But that doesn't mean anything to you. But if I say the word Christian redemption, we're all going to be like, oh, because... If you're here this morning and you have accepted Jesus Christ in your life, then there is no other redemption for us. It's only through his blood that we're going to make it to heaven. Christian redemption is that God had reached down from heaven through his son, the story of Jesus, the baby in, in the, um, the thing. What was he? The manger. The sacrifice on the cross and so only through his blood that we are redeemed and brought into his eternal family. Remember, Jesus died for the world. Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. When we accepted Jesus, he accepted us. 
the way I am, the way you are, you, 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 all you guys, exactly the way you are today in this room, he's accepted you. And you can't be me and I can't be me, you. Because you won't know what to do with all that hairspray. <laughs> Everyone is in need of redemption. What are some of the benefits of redemption? We saw in our lesson this week, we saw eternal life, forgiveness of sins, righteousness, freedom from the law, adoption into God's family, deliverance from sin's bondage, peace with God, and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So to be redeemed then is to be forgiven, holy, justified, free, adopted, and reconciled. The word redeem means to buy out. The term was used specifically in reference to the purchase of slaves' freedom. The application of this term to Christ's death on the cross is quite telling. If we are redeemed, then we ha- our prior condition was one of slavery. God has purchased you and purchased me and our freedom, and we no longer are in bondage to sin. I saw a picture Um, I don't know why I didn't buy it, but I wanted to. And it said, don't judge me because of my past. I no longer walk that road no more. Ruth has chosen a new road. You have chosen a new road. I have chosen a new road. When we accepted Jesus Christ in our lives, we have chosen a new road. Oh, at times, and a lot of times I can say on my side, it can be bumpy, dark, and maybe forever it seems you're, go- it's in, you're in a pit and you're going in circles and you don't see the exit sign. But all it takes, bless you, is a broken heart of repentance and you are safe in his arms again. So, we last did our lesson in Joshua, led Israel into the promised land, right? Remember that story? With high hopes and exuberant expectations. You would expect these people who were delivered out of Egypt, led through the wilderness for 40 years and brought to the land with such demonstration of God's power and direction to attain a high level of living and victory in the land. Right? Nope. What happened? They failed and suffered miserably. The book of Ruth takes place during the period of the book of Judges. Now, who here is reading through as we go along. I know. So who got to the book of Judges? The Benjamites? I wanted to like put that book down and go, no, they did not do that. It was, it can get ugly. It's dark. It's creepy. But during the book of Judges, a period of time of extreme confusion and moral decay for Israel, a time where people did not, they did not have any moral compass There was no one saying, oh, that's right, that's wrong. It was do whatever you want. If it feels good, do it. If you see a young girl walking on the road, take her. She's not with someone. So the moral compass was there was no moral compass. If it felt good and it worked in your favor, then it was okay. The phrase, everybody's doing it, so it must be okay. Like my friends say, or my kids say, all my friends are doing it, Mom. All my friends are doing it. I just have a friend ask me last night, I'm in this big, I'm this new season of basketball now, and it's five days a week. 
and it's everywhere within an 80-mile radius. I'm sure Land can understand. I mean, we pass each other, like, between 2 and probably midnight, we're going this direction. So we're okay if you want to talk to us between the morning and about 2. But after that, it's craziness. I had a mom who has a 14-year-old daughter ask me, you just last night sitting at a basketball game, hey, would you let your daughter walk from Rim to Valero when they have, like, an hour and a half of nothing to do in between their practice? And I'm like the mean mom on the mountain because I have an 18-year-old and I just let her drive to college. <laughs> no, I would not let my – are we talking boy or are we talking girl? Both. I would not let neither one, If you know, because boys can do mischievous things. And girls can happen upon boys doing – you know? So I was like, where's the – oh, it's a nice day. Let them walk. Really? Okay. No, the might, no. Um, so that's what it was. It was just like there's just no moral compass at this time when our story takes place. But yet God was still working out his plan in the hearts and lives to those who were open to him, and he's still doing it today. We can look at an overall situation and say, wow, I just don't see how God is going to work that one out. And out pops a little glimpse of hope. Then before you know it, he's taken the situation and turned it completely around. He's created a new road. He's created a new road for Ruth. The book of Ruth was written somewhere between King David or Solomon's reign. Um, like a song, hey, I'm going to tell you about my great-grandma. Her name was um, Ruth and uh, my great-grandpa Boaz. Ruth lived in Moab. She was a Moabitess. They were the perennial enemy of Israel. The Moabs were cursed by God from the very beginning. Now, does anyone know how the Moabites came about to become who they were? Yes. Lot? Okay, after Sodom and Gomorrah and the big pillar of salt thing, Lot goes and has intimate relationship with his oldest daughter, the grossest type of incest you can have, and they produce a son, and they call him Moab, and that's where the Moabites come. So they are, from the very beginning, they are cursed by God. I'm not moving. Oh. <laughs> they were known for idolatry and child sacrificing, just to name a few. Um, this period of time that where our story takes place is not only the dark time of the judges with dark days, but these are the darkest of dark days for the time of Israel. So about 400 years of anarchy and oppression for Israel. And they thought 40 years in the wilderness was long. Well, during this time, they were ruled by periodic deliverers from God only when they would seek him out. So some of the, some of the names you might know, um, the story of Gideon, the story of Samson with the hair, and uh, uh, one of them is Deborah. So we have a woman in there. And each of them were raised up by God not to rule over them, but to deliver them out of situations and challenges. This is all in the book of Judges, so pick it up on your spare time. And uh, so you will see how the Israelites constantly turned away from God and constantly cried back. It's just, it's just craziness. A time where if you were a woman, you went nowhere without your father, your brother, your husband, your sons. The men were your protection. 
anything and everything would and could happen if you were caught out walking alone. A woman alone walking was considered fair game. Everybody is doing what they want. So now let's open our Bibles up to Ruth. And I'm going to go ahead and read Ruth chapter 1. Now it came to pass in the days when judges ruled that there was a famine in the land. And a certain man of Bethlehem, Judah, went to dwell in the country of Moab, he and his wife and two sons. The name of the man was Elimelech, his wife Naomi, and his two sons named Malon and Chilion, Ephraimites of Bethlehem, Judah. So Bethlehem, Judah basically means kind of like, uh, Bethlehem would be considered like the county of San Bernardino, and we live in Riverside. So Judah would be kind of like the little county inside Bethlehem, Bethlehem, Judah. So just to give you a little perspective, why are they calling it Bethlehem, Judah? And they went to the country of Moab, and they sojourned there. Bethlehem was a rich agricultural area, but a famine had come upon the land, and so they left in search of survival. But as we see and as we read our lesson, people who stayed survived through this famine because Naomi eventually goes back to Bethlehem. In this case, Elimelech takes his family, sells his land, and moves. Deuteronomy 11 tells us that there would always be plenty in the land if Israel was obedient. Therefore, a famine in the land meant that Israel as a nation was disobedient unto the Lord. Now, in our study this week, what did we learn what Bethlehem means? Who knows that name? House of Bread. Bethlehem is known as House of Bread and Praise finding themselves with two sons whose names meant sickly or falling or pining, most likely very very weak immune system. In that culture, they would name their babies with a meaning at the time of birth. So just like we know of Jacob and Esau, Esau Esau means hairy, and so we know because the Bible tells us that Esau was a very hairy man. So that's what happened here. Um, Living in Bethlehem in the house of bread and praise, but goes and dwells in Moab, doubting that God can take care of them in the house of bread. So off they go to the next best place. Sounds like us. We become impatient with God and take matters into our own hands. Interesting to note, Psalms 108.9 says, Moab is my wash pot. This is what God says about Moab. You can almost paraphrase and say, Moab is my garbage can. Okay, those are God's thoughts about Moab. Leaving the house of bread and praise to go live in the garbage can. So to do so, Bethlehem is a higher elevation than Moab. You have to come down, then hike through the desolate Jericho Pass, then through the Judean wilderness near the Dead Sea, then go across the Jordan River into the land of Moab. This was a definite departure from the promised land of Israel and a return towards the wilderness from where God had them delivered Israel hundreds of years before. But however, God's plans are not our plans because in this story we find Ruth. And she is used in God's plan of his son's genealogy. So wherever we have come from, our past might be really ugly 
And it might be really ugly right now. But God can use it to his glory. Never, never sell yourself short. You are beautiful in eyes, God's eyes. And he can use you and you and you and all of you guys. And maybe he could use me. So I'm going to paraphrase now from verses 3 to 14. So follow me if you will, just for time's sake. Then Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons who took wives of the women of Moab. After living there for ten years, both sons died, and Naomi was left without her husband and two sons. Obviously, when they sojourned and stayed in Moab to escape the famine, life was not a box of chocolates. (laughs) Soon her husband dies, and then her two sons. A change of scenery did not make things better. We sometimes think we can move away from our problems, but find we just bring them with us. No matter where we go, we bring ourselves with us. I'm going to go here, so is myself. (laughs) So the same problems can continue in a different place. You've all heard the saying, you bring your luggage with you. Now in verse 6, when hearing in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people in providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. She left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Then Naomi said to her two daughter-in-laws, Go back, each of you, to your mother's house, and may you find rest and home of another husband. Basically here, she was giving the girls her blessing to go back and remarry to find security. I am too old to have another husband in verse 12. Yeah, that window's closed. And I'm not having any more children. If I did, would you wait, she says in verse 13. No, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Naomi feels the pain, the long-suffering, heard the gossips in town that, oh, your God has left you because now, look, your husband died and now your two sons died. Where there's women, there's talk, 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 talk. So here she felt alone, bitter for losing her security in her husband and her sons, attributing her situation as God's discipline. We can spend hours upon hours on why God has allowed certain situations to come into our lives. Woe is me. Why me, Lord? We shouldn't ask what's happening to her or what's happening to me or this. We should ask God. And only God knows why we're in that certain situation. The things the enemy puts in our heads when we are alone thinking too much, we need to give it to God. Feeling hopeless, helpless, And now the added stress of two young widows to take care of, the best thing at the moment is to tell them to go back. And she tells them twice to go back. Devastation, loss of a husband and sons. In those days, widows did not have privileges to go out and find work as men could do. Women women were considered second-class citizens and needed to fend for themselves. They could not go to Jensen's and buy a fishing pole and go to the nearest watering hole and go fishing. That was the job of their husbands or the males in their house. To be a childless widow was to be among the lowest, most disadvantaged classes in the ancient world. 
There was no one to support you, and you had to live on the generosity of strangers. Naomi had no family in Moab, Moab and no one else to help her. It was a desperate situation. It doesn't sound like her daughter-in-law's families offer any help. The Bible doesn't tell us that. It does tell us that there's now three of them alone. A widow with her two widowed daughter-in-laws. Not a good situation to be in. Now Naomi hears that the famine was over and there is now bread in Bethlehem. And so now she wants to go home. She takes the road back that will lead her home. Here we see that Naomi takes action. She, gets, she sets out to go back. Many people will hear of the good things God does in other people's lives, and they only wish it could happen to them. But instead of actually setting out to receive it, you've got to take action. Then Orpah kissed Naomi. Orpah was not willing to go with Naomi and take the challenge of going to Bethlehem. Her God was still in the old life. Going to Bethlehem meant nothing to Orpah. Nothing. But what does Ruth do? Ruth clung to her. Verse 14. And by looking at Naomi, who was bitter and blaming God for her circumstances. Verse 13. The hand of the Lord has gone out against me. This obviously weighed heavily on Naomi's heart and mind. She felt that the calamity which came upon her family came because they were disobedient, probably in leaving the promised land of Israel and marrying their sons to Moabite women. She has a very heavy heart. Perhaps Naomi felt, Naomi felt a particular guilt. Perhaps she was the one that pushed them to move out of Israel. Perhaps she was the one that pushed her sons to marry the Moabite women. Despite the feeling, Naomi is going back to the land of Israel and going back to her God. Though she felt that the hand of the Lord has gone out against her, she did not grow bitter against God. She returned to him in repentance, knowing that the answer is drawing closer to him and not further away. You see, Ruth sees a little flicker of light in Naomi's actions which was just enough for her to grab on and to hold on to it for dear life. For Ruth, going straight was life. Going back was death. She says, Entreat me not to leave you or to turn back from following after you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people. And your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there will I be buried. The Lord do so to me, and more also, if anything but death parts you and me. The moment Naomi stood up and said, I'm going back, they were fine right where they were for ten years. Nothing was bothering them. So how much does it have to take before you say enough? Naomi says, I had enough. And says, I'm going back to my people, to my God. She knew they sold everything before they left. That there was no house, no job, no provisions, no, no men. She was trusting in God at this point. And Ruth says, me too, me too. She's set free from the old life. Ruth did not want her old life anymore. She wanted to know Naomi's God more intimately. The Bible says that after the father died, they lived 10 years in Moab with the sons being married. 
that's a long time, you might say, for Naomi to teach and show her daughter-in-laws who her God is, who God's ways are. Naomi was not painting a pretty picture for her daughter-in-law if she stayed with her. I can't promise you anything. I have nothing waiting for me. I have nothing to give you. She knows that the road back to Bethlehem is uphill and dangerous. And so Ruth clung on to that hope. Not just a change of address for her. It meant leaving it all behind and starting over. Ladies, it's not our ability to love God and follow him in his ways. It's our availability. Ruth had a space available in her heart flashing open, open, open. Are you available to let Jesus Christ in your heart, in your life, and to follow him in his ways? Not just half the time, and not just some of the time, or when you feel like it, or when life is good. What if God worked on your behalf some of the time, half the time, or when he felt like it? No, he doesn't work that way. God is all the time. Chapter 2, we're going to see Ruth gleans in Boaz's fields. Ruth meets her Redeemer. And our first impression of Boaz we see in chapter 2 is he comes out to check on his workers and he says, The Lord be with you. And his workers replied back, The Lord bless you. What a great workplace. What a great boss. Wouldn't you like to work at a job where your boss is a believer? I'm sure some of us in here do have those jobs, but some of us don't. And we have to battle that every day. Here we see a man who stayed in Bethlehem during the famine. And obviously, God blessed him and made him very wealthy. So here we go, ladies. The quiz time. Who is Boaz? Who is his mother? Rahab. <gasps> the harlot? Everyone go, <gasps> God used a hooker. Oh, my gosh. What? Are you kidding me? No. Yes. Yes. God's ways are not our ways. He can use you. He can use me. Trust me. Remember in Jericho, Rahab hid the spies on her roof and asked to be saved. Then she goes off and has a son and names him Boaz. And look how she raises him. She was this and then raises that. So you can't put limits on God. It's so unbelievable how he could just change everything about us and people that you know around you that you're going to think there is no hope in that. Yes, there is. Hold on. If you doubt, then it's just going to take longer and longer and longer for your situation to get better because God's waiting for you to fully grasp on who he is. I would tell you to turn to Matthew 1, but not because of time's sake. Matthew 1 gives us the genealogy, but write in your notes to go home later to look at Matthew 1, and it just will tell you where Boaz came from. And so on to... um, Chapter 2, still in chapter 2, we're going to see the kinsman redeemer, also known as the Goel. Um, The law of gleaming would come into practice for Ruth and Naomi to protect the widows of Israel. We heard Jeff explain this on Sunday, and I'm going to call it the Israelite Welfare Protection Program. (laughs) This is the Levitical law. You can look that up later today in Leviticus, mostly in chapter 19. To sustain the women's survival and the brothers' lineage would live on. It's like a genealogy tree. Uh, The widow's husband's brother would take on the duty 
of seeing that a son was born to carry on the name and to provide protection in addition to his own wife and household. Now he had another one. Um, So back in the day, and still some today, the more children you had, especially boys, this guaranteed your survival through old age. This law provided the provisions needed for the women. And so as you got older, you could stay with your sons. And women who were childless and widowed basically became second-class citizens. They also had to depend on handouts and the kindness of strangers. Hopefully, they had nice neighbors. Only a man could sell and purchase land. Let's look at the kinsman redeemer real quick, the Goel. This duty was more than to preserve the family name of his brother in Israel. It was also to keep land allotted to members of the family to stay within the family. Okay, so remember in Joshua, when Israel came into the promised land, the lands were divided amongst the tribes. And amongst the tribes, amongst the families in the tribes. So God intended that the land stayed within those tribes and family groups so that the land could never be permanently sold. Ruth finds out through Naomi's teachings that Boaz is her kinsman redeemer. We see in verse 2, Ruth says to Naomi, please let me go to the fields and pick up the leftovers after him in whose sight I might find favor. Now here we see the law of the gleaning. Leviticus 19 commanded the farmers in Israel that they should not completely harvest their fields. They were commanded to cut corners in harvesting and always leave some behind. Also, if they dropped a bundle of grain, they were commanded to leave it on the floor and not pick it up. This was one of the social assistant programs in Israel. Farmers were not to completely harvest the fields so the poor and the needy could come and glean for themselves and have food. This is a wonderful way of helping the poor. It commanded the farmers to be generous of heart, and it commanded the poor to be active for work for their food. So Ruth goes and gleans in Boaz's fields and finds favor in his eyes. To Ruth, she happened to come across Boaz's fields. To us, we see how she was led by the unseen hand of God. Boaz, when he notices Ruth, asked who she is and who does she belong to. The workers tell him that she is the widowed daughter-in-law, the Moabite, who has returned with Naomi. She has been gleaning all day and only stopped one time to rest, and she cut lunch a little bit short to get back to gleaning. When we think nobody is watching our behavior and actions and how we walk with God, What they see will make a difference. There's always someone observing us. And so right away, Boaz tells her to stay in the fields for her her protection and for his men not to approach her and to drop extra grain for her needs and to drink from the water jars that my male servants have provided. How awesome we see that he does not judge her past. He accepts who she is right then and there. Exactly how God is with us, accepting us for who we are. What does Ruth find in Boaz's fields? Three things. Companionship amongst the other women. Protection, the men not to touch her. And refreshment when you are thirsty. 
the act of kindness, we find it pretty easy to be kind to others when we see a potential payoff from the investment of our kindness. Yet true kindness is shown when we extend ourselves to others who, as far as we can see, have nothing to give back to us. Ruth thanks Boaz for his kindness in Ruth uh, chapter 2, 10 through 13. So she fell on the ground and thanked Boaz for his kindness, not knowing in about two months she's going to be married and is going to own those very fields that she had to bend over and pick up the wheat from. In chapter 3, we see Ruth is advised to go to the threshing floor to lay down next to Boaz's feet. Here we see Ruth being obedient to Naomi, who has been telling her all about what the kinsman redeemer role is, and that maybe, just maybe, if she makes herself all pretty and goes on and splashes on some perfume, that she would find favor in the eyes of Boaz. And real quick, I'm just going to explain to you what the threshing floor is so that we could just get the bigger picture. There are dozens of references to the threshing floor in the Bible, some literal and some symbolic. In biblical days, there was, no, there was no machinery. So after the harvest, okay, remember, she comes during the harvest springtime, so a couple of months have lapsed. After the harvest, the grain was separated from the straw and husked by beating it manually. First, there had to be a flat surface, surface which was smooth and hard, and this was known as the threshing floor. The process of threshing was performed generally by spreading the sheaves on the threshing floor and causing oxen and cattle to tread repeatedly over them, loosening the edible part of the cereal grain or the crop. From the scaly, uh, from the scaly uh, inedible uh, chaff that surrounded it. On occasions, flails or sticks were used for this purpose, kind of like in the air. Then winnowing forks were used to throw the mixture in the air so the wind would blow away the chaff, leaving only the good grain falling on the floor. Now, back in those days, they didn't have um, security. Because remember, everything was do what you want. So the reason Boaz is going to the threshing floor, he's going to watch his grain. He's going to make sure that the bad guys are not going to come over there. Okay, so he's, he's basically making sure that the grain is being stepped out. Both the Old and the New Testaments refer to the threshing floor as a symbol of judgment. In Hosea, prophesied that because Israel has repeatedly turned from God to false idols, his judgment upon them would scatter them to the winds as the chaff from the threshing floor. Therefore, they will be like the morning mist, like the early dew that disappears, like chaff swirling from a threshing floor, like smoke escaping through a window. You can find all of that in Hosea and also in Jeremiah. So Naomi knows that Boaz is going to be at the threshing floor that night. That's why she tells her, go get yourself all pretty, put some perfume on, and he's going to be over here doing the threshing floor thing. So go over there and lay by his feet. So in that day, this was understood to be the role of a servant, to lay at their master's feet and be ready for any command of the master. So when Naomi told Ruth to lie down at Boaz's feet, she told her to come to him in total humble submission. I am your servant. I'm letting you know that I know that you're my kingdom and redeemer. And if you can find favor in me, you're going to marry me and then take this whole role on. That's what her purpose was, going to the threshing floor. 
letting Boaz know that she knew without forcing the issue. Boaz, being surprised and acknowledges his duty, tells her that he is not the closest relative, but to go him and to wait until you hear from me. And so next we see Boaz confront the nearest kinsman who did not want to take on the responsibility of the Goel. He did not want to take on the package deal, which was to marry Ruth the Moabite and buy the land back from her and Naomi. The kinsman could not marry Naomi because she was beyond childbearing age. So the next best thing in this package deal was to take her daughter-in-law. Well, the person in our story said that he didn't want to take the Moabite, so he releases the right for the kinsman redeemer to Boaz, who joyfully proclaimed, legally sealing the transaction, that he would redeem both property and posterity of Elimelech and taking Ruth as his wife. Chapter 4, we see them get married and our ending of this beautiful picture of love, loyalty, and redemption. Ruth gives birth to a son whose name is Obed, who had a son whose name was Jesse, who had a son whose name was David, king of Israel. The blessed life of Naomi. Then the women said to her in verse 14, Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without a close relative, and may his name be famous in Israel. Uh, yeah, he was. And may he be to you a restorer of life. Yes. And a nourisher of your old age for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is better to you than seven sons has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him on her bosom and became a nurse to him. It's also fitting because Naomi was the one who said in chapter 1, the Almighty has dealt very bitter with me. The Lord has brought me home empty. The Lord has testified against me. Even though times were hard, Naomi clung to God's promises. We can't blame Naomi. We certainly do the same kind of thing. But we should learn from what she learned. God's plan is perfect and filled with love. And even when we can't figure out what he is doing, and it all seems so desperate, he still knows what he is doing. We should learn that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now in our ending, Naomi's return to Bethlehem and the roots of David in Bethlehem go back to Ruth and Boaz, go back to Joseph and Mary, and on why Bethlehem They had to go to register on the census. Ruth and Boaz are the reason, one of the reasons why Jesus was born in Bethlehem. And seeing Jesus in the story, Jesus has been through the whole book pictured by Boaz as the office of the Kingsman Redeemer. Who is your Kingsman Redeemer this morning? Jesus Christ. The Kingsman Redeemer had to be a family member. Jesus added humanity to his eternal deity so he could be our kinsman and save us. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying family members out of slavery. Jesus redeemed us from slavery to sin and death. The kinsman redeemer had the duty of buying back the land that had been forfeited. Jesus will redeem the earth that mankind sold over to Satan. Boaz, as a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, was not motivated by self-interest, 
but motivated by love for Ruth. Jesus' motivation um, for redeeming us is his great love for us. Boaz, as kinsman redeemer to Ruth, had to have a plan to redeem Ruth unto himself. Jesus has a plan to redeem us. And some might think the plan is foolish, saving men by dying for them on a cruel cross. Yet the plan works and it's glorious. Boaz, as a kinsman redeemer to Ruth, took her as his bride. The people Jesus has redeemed are collectively called his bride. We are the bride of Christ. Boaz, the kinsman redeemer to Ruth, provided a glorious destiny for Ruth. Jesus, our redeemer, provides a glorious destiny for us. But it all comes back to the idea of Jesus as our kinsman redeemer. This is why he became man. Only Jesus, the eternal God, who added humanity to his eternal deity, can be both the kinsman and the redeemer for mankind. And so as our memory verse in Psalms this week reads, all paths of the Lord are steadfast, love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies. And ladies, making it personal this morning, from bitter to blessed, from blaming to blessing, from stress to blessed, sometimes it's not enough for us to simply know the story of Jesus being born in a stable. We need to know his story of redemption. We need to come with a broken heart. Go to the foot of the cross. Lay everything down. Ask for him to come into our lives and live in the center of everything. From eternity, God planned to bring Ruth and Boaz together and thus make Bethlehem his entrance point for the coming of Jesus as our true kinsman redeemer, fully God and fully man. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, I would just so thankful, Lord, that we can just look at the book of Ruth and just see your son all over it, Lord, and through the works of Boaz as Ruth's kinsman redeemer, through the works of your son as our one and only truly kinsman redeemer. We just thank you, Lord, for loving us on who we are and, and where we are that you have come to save us, Lord. And we ask, Lord, that you be with us as we go into our groups, Lord, and we get more deeper into your word and pick out things that we each saw. We just love you and bless you, Lord, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen.